This morning, I, I want to applaud you and rejoice in the Lord over you for your faithfulness. Because uh, since last November, when we entered into this campaign, you all have given together $1,129,255. That's amazing. Again, I celebrate you. But I want to put this in context. Since last November, in addition to how you've been supporting the renovation and expansion of our facility, you have collectively given toward our ministry budget $1,621,000 or and $36 toward what we do week in and week out. Now, the significance of that, if you want to compare things, some were wondering as we entered into this financial uh, campaign for the building, would it affect how we do what we do as a congregation? Well, compared to this point last year, in terms of our ministry support, you've actually given $37,000 more than we gave last year toward our ministry budget. To me, that's phenomenal. And even on top of that... Over the course of the last 12 months, we've made various mission appeals where we've asked you to uh, invest in what we're doing beyond our walls, and you've given an additional $287,512 in support of mission causes. Now, those of you that are mathematically minded, if you do the math, this comes out to be over the last 12 months, you've given $3,037,803. That's a God thing. That's just a God thing. I mean, if you're a guest with us today, we're not an extremely large church. On a typical Sunday, we'll have 550. A hundred of those will be children. We're not a particularly wealthy church. If you look around, we're not made up of those financial movers and shakers. But you know what you will find among us is a church that believes the Lord and has chosen to be incredibly generous, believing that God's going to do something through us because we give. And so as a church family, I, I just want to celebrate. I, I think now that a year has passed, I think it's appropriate to rejoice and to celebrate your faithfulness and God's faithfulness through you to help us to accomplish what has already been accomplished. That said, having completed the first year, those of you that are regular attenders know, we knew going into this that it was a real commitment that was more than a year commitment. Many of you made pledges that reach for three years in length. And realizing, having had the first year pass, again, not that we would be tempted to lose sight of what we're doing. I think your giving demonstrates that we haven't. Nevertheless, I felt it might be helpful on this particular Sunday to pause and to make sure moving forward that our hearts are properly in focus. And so for a little bit today, I just want to bring us back to remind ourselves of the vision that has driven everything that has brought us to this point. Because honestly, what we're doing isn't just for our sake, but there's a vision behind it. And so this morning, I want us to think about what that 
vision is. I mean, if we look at the upcoming year, it's 2020. I think it is a simple thing to think that we want to have 2020 vision as we move into that new year, spiritually speaking. But when we talk about vision, what is it that we're discussing? Well, as I said a year ago, and as I will continue to say, when you look at what's happening with our building, and that's exciting. I mean, it's, it's thrilling to see uh, the children's building begin to start to frame up a little bit as we're seeing the progress there. But I would stress with you, as exciting as we may be about seeing things happening to the building, it's not about the building. It's about the people that God, I'm convinced, wants us to touch in the years to come. That I am persuaded that as a congregation, we do what we do with the building and do what we do within the walls of the building, that the end result of that is that lives are going to be impacted. That we're going to be instruments of God's grace. We're going to extend hope together. And individuals are going to experience the power of God because of what we're doing. It's not about buildings. It's about what happens within the space of those buildings. Whether it's in the children's area or, or in the new worship center, God's going to affect lives. And that's why many of you are proving to be as generous as you are generous because you know it's about the faces of the individuals that will be touched, right? Now, a year ago, when we were beginning to visualize this, I shared with you that familiar story in the Gospel of John, in John 4, where Jesus made a stop as he was crossing Samaria. And I'm of the mindset that Jesus went into Samaria with this particular person in mind. I'm so bold as to imagine that, that why did Jesus choose to stop where he stopped? Why did he even bother to go through Samaria when most of the good Jews would never have entertained such a thing? I can't help but believe Jesus had a particular woman in mind. He had her face in mind. And John Ford describes he came to a well and his disciples went on into the nearby village to gather some food supplies. And more than likely, they passed this woman as they were going into the village as she was coming out of it. And Honestly, they probably didn't notice her. Or if they did, they likely avoided her. But when she reached the well, Jesus entered into a conversation with her. Why did he do that? Well, he asked for a drink. It wasn't because he was thirsty. He wanted her to discover the truth of who he is. Because you see, whenever a person comes to truly understand who he is, he affects the life. He changes them. We talked about that for six weeks in our series on rescue. He can change that person's life, and that's what he offered her. Indeed, if you read John 4, Jesus offered to her the following. He says in John 4, verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water, referring to the water of the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become, listen to the language, in him a spring of water welling up to life that touches eternity, eternal life. 
Jesus wanted her to experience that. He offered her that. And if you know the rest of the story, she responds to him. Now, we're going to come back to this passage uh, next week because he, he makes some statements about religion because she initially tries to deflect attention away from herself to talk religion. But we're going to come back to that a little bit more next week. But I just want you to realize this morning, Jesus offered her life and she responded to him in faith. This past week, I had the joy of sitting across from a young man who recently has responded to the life that Jesus offers. See, Jesus continues to change lives. I mean, that's just what he does. That's why he came. She believed in him. And the, the text says she, instead of carrying the water back to the village, she's so excited about what's happened, she leaves uh, the water there and rushes back into the village to tell what's happened to her, to tell her story. Now, probably... Because of her lifestyle, which had not necessarily been exemplary, people were a little put off. Well, what are you saying? But there, there must have been something in her face that persuaded them to listen to her. So much so that they began to come out to meet the man that she was talking about. Now, before I go further in her story, last week I suggested that you work on your story. Remember that? I know some of you wish I would, would get off of that because you don't really want to tell your story. You really need to be willing to tell your story. Whether it's over Thanksgiving or at some future point, you need to know what led you to Jesus, how you responded to him, and, and the difference he's making now. You should be able to tell that, shouldn't you? And the reason I, I would suggest that, because probably the woman had no idea how her story would affect those who heard it. But when they heard it, they wanted to meet this man. And they made their way to the well where Jesus was. Now, the disciples had returned to the well. They saw him interacting with the woman. Still, I think they were thinking, what, what, what is he doing? And then he explains, you know, you guys, your vision is off. You're not seeing what you need to see. You need to see the people. And the possibility of what can happen in their lives as they trust in me. In fact, as John reports in the fourth chapter, Jesus at that point sees some of the villagers now coming to the well because of the testimony of the woman. And he points to them, trying to teach his disciples to embrace his vision. And what does he say to them? Well, you know probably what he says in John 4.35. This is what he says. Look, I tell you. Lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. Open your eyes and see. Don't be so busy, so focused on what you're doing that you lose sight of what I can do. Open your eyes and see. I wonder, as Jesus was pointing to the crowd, if there hadn't been a field of wheat or grain nearby, and he points to the people, and then he points to the grain, and he says, this is, this is harvest time. Don't be so distracted or self-absorbed that you don't see what's in front of you. The difference that can be made if you'll just respond well, as the villagers arrive, Jesus begins to talk to them. In fact, he stays two additional days. 
talking to them about who he is and the difference that he makes. And listen to what we have as their testimony, verse 41 of that same passage. And many more believe because of his word, Jesus' word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. Notice she did influence them in that direction. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Now, how good is that? Now, I wanted us to come back to this passage as we looked at it a year ago, because when we talk about a building, it's not about a building. It's always about the people that we need to effectively reach and touch. And truth be known, if we had not addressed what we needed to address with regard to our building, we had created obstacles to some of that effectiveness in the children's area, even in our worship center. As grateful as we were to enjoy the setting as it was, it was not as effective an environment as it needed to be. Some of you would admit, even come to the gym, you could finally begin to hear in ways that you could not hear in there. If you're honest, you'd admit that. But see, it's not about the building. It's about what God does in the lives of people within the space. Now, this is the thing I want to plant with you. In 1985, when this facility was originally constructed, it cost them in today's dollars an estimated $8 million to do what they did. And for over three decades, they have been blessing us because of that vision. Wouldn't you agree with that? And uh, truth be known, they didn't envision the faces that are seated in the gym today. Now, some of you were here, which I rejoice in your faithfulness through the decades, but most of you were not here in 1985. But they envisioned you. They saw the possibilities. And they gave sacrificially, generously to make that possible. So is it not appropriate in 2019 as we look at 20? 20, that we maintain a vision that has that in view? That we see the possibilities? I know those of you that have been so consistent in your support over the last 12 months. Again, it's tempting to say, you know, I don't know that I can maintain this. Let's not lose sight of what God is calling us to. For truth is, when we talk about vision, we need to envision more than simply the possibilities of those that God will touch. I think as we enter this second year together, we need a vision of God's activity, what he's committed himself to as he's called us forward. Now, we talked about this last year. And yet, perhaps as we've come 12 months through this effort, we need to just once more be reminded of what the Bible teaches us about God's activity to enable us to accomplish these things. Now, the passage that I introduced last November is a significant teaching about giving in the Bible. It's found in the New Testament 
book of 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul, as you know, was a missionary. He traveled across the Roman Empire. He planted churches. He established churches. He tried to encourage churches. But in the midst of all of that, he also tried to teach churches to to have a vision beyond themselves, to give in ways that would accomplish God's greater purpose. And there was a period of time that he was collecting an offering from the various churches in support of the church in Jerusalem. They were trying to meet some of the physical needs that were there. And he was asking people to give, of all things, and to give generously. And as he's writing to the church at Corinth, he even explains from a spiritual point of view what we should understand about that. And if we lose sight of what the Bible teaches concerning this, then I think we might get distracted away from what God's calling us to. So let me take us back to what Paul says and see if it doesn't encourage us again this morning because we need to have a vision of how God is going to work in all of this. Now listen to what Paul begins by saying. This is kind of his summary statement. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 he writes... The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now Paul is introducing a spiritual principle. It's, I would refer to it as the principle of the harvest, right? You reap what you sow. Now, probably very few of us are actually farmers, so maybe we don't totally come to appreciate the the significance of the principle, but think of it this way. You get out what you put in, right? I mean, as a boy growing up, sometimes my mom would remind me in school, you're going to get out of what you're studying, what you put in. If you don't put anything in, you're probably not going to get anything out. You're going to reap what you sow. Those of you that try to maintain some level of exercise, you know, when you go to a gym, you're basically going to get out what you put in. Uh, If you go to the gym and just sit down and and sip some coffee, I'm not so sure you have a cause to complain when you don't see the, the benefit from going to the gym. You get out what you put in. And even when it comes to worship, if I might kind of detour, if I may, because next week we're going to talk more about worship, the truth is some of us maybe come into a service and we're tempted to fold our arms and to say, okay, I want to get something out of this, but emotionally and spiritually you don't put anything into it, and then you're surprised that you don't get anything out. No, we get out what we put in. It's the principle of the harvest. We reap what we sow. And when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, Now, you needed to know with regard to this giving, this appeal to give, you're going to ultimately get out what you put in. You're going to reap what you sow. If you, if you sow, he says, sparingly, then just expect that's what you'll get. But he says, if you sow bountifully. Now the word there in the language of the New Testament is the Greek word uh, euologia, which could even be translated blessing. And I like that because think of it this way. If you sow a blessing, what does Paul say the principle of the harvest produces? You reap a blessing. That's the language of it. If you sow bountifully, then you 
have this expectation that you will reap bountifully. And so then he challenges them. Verse 7, each one then must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly. There, the Greek term is lipe, which means not with sadness. You don't give out of a sense of pain. <laughs> no, he says, no. You don't give also under compulsion. It's not by force. I mean, the church is not like the government that's trying to tax you. It's a voluntary response, he says. In fact, his appeal is that you, you give it freely or with a cheerful heart. For he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful, think. God loves a giver whose heart is full. Now, what causes my heart to be full? Faith. See, God loves a heart whose heart is full of faith, and that affects the emotion, and it's the faith that enables to see how God works. Listen to what he adds in verse 8. And then God, he says, is able to make all grace. Now, that's a word we sing about, talk about, but do we always... Understand the significance. The word grace means, as in reference to God, it either describes God's activity or God's provision. And he says God is able to make all of his activity, all of his provision to abound to you. To go over and above to you. So that, notice, having all sufficiency in all things... At all times. You think he's trying to make a point? He's simply reminding us of how God works. We need to have a vision that as we respond in the ways that God calls us to respond, that he's more than able by his activity, by his provision, to provide what we need. So that you, notice, may abound over and above in every good work. Paul's trying to give them a spiritual vision of what is God's activity, operation, how he engages us. We need to see that. Now, he, at that point, he tries to, to give a biblical example. He recites a portion of Psalm 112, where uh, in the 112th Psalm, you have a, a person of faith, living out in faith. Verse 9 reads, as it is written... He, the person of faith, has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. And notice, outcome, his righteousness endures forever. The implication is there that God's at work in the life of that individual. And Paul supplies a promise, verse 10. He, God, who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now look at verse 10 and do you not see the promise there? That as I'm faithful to respond, as God leads me to respond, it's voluntary on my part, I'm not in course to do this, I'm responding in faith, that God assumes responsibility to sustain 
the one who is the instrument of that provision. Now, where did Paul get this? I mean, maybe some think, oh, you know what? Paul just is saying that to manipulate the people. I don't think so. Where did he get this? Well, let me read the words of Jesus in Luke 6 when Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Notice, running over will be put into your lap. The implication is it's over and above to the degree that you're catching the excess with, with your robe. For with the measure, as Jesus explains it, you use it, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is the one who tries to help us visualize God's activity through those who live generously. Going back, if I may, to verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He wants to bless those who bless. Verse 11 he adds, you will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Is that clear? Now, some of us this past year, we've been living this, haven't we? We've been experiencing this. God has been sustaining us as we've responded unimaginably in the level of generosity. If you'd asked me a year ago that in the next 12 months, through this local congregation, that $3 million would be given, I would say, what? But see, some of you are actually living out what Paul says is operational, that we trust God, we believe God, we, we give as unto him, knowing that he's the one who takes what is given and accomplishes with it what is needed and sustains us in the process. Now, I want to be clear. I don't believe Paul is teaching here that you give a dollar, God gives you five. If you ever have a preacher on television suggest that he's lying to you, God's never promised that. The language of Paul here is that God sustains those who give. That he's not going to allow the faithful vessel through which his grace is directed to suddenly dry up. He sustains those who give. It doesn't necessarily mean that you become incredibly wealthy because you've given. You just become this faithful vessel that God continues to do, do remarkable things through. Honestly, some of you this last year have sacrificed because you've given. You've given up something because you've given. And I know that. God knows that. But he's committed himself to you. To sustain you. And when I look at it, my wife and I have been giving sacrificially. The truth of the matter is... It's not a sacrifice. We're not sacrificing. You know what we're doing? We're sowing. We're sowing. Now, Debbie and I may not see the full effect of the harvest. No doubt we won't because, you know, 
The sowing that we're involved in is going to touch the faces of people 10 and 20 years from now. See? It's not a sacrifice, really. We're casting the seed out. Believing that God is going to do something because that's who God is. That's what he promises. So, as we're at the one-year point, what do we need to do as we move forward for the next 12 months? Whoa. I think this morning we do need to celebrate, don't we? Come on. We need to celebrate. This is amazing what God is doing. It's amazing. I mean, when I begin to look at those numbers, I thought to myself, wow. What a testimony to the Lord's work through you. Wow. So we do need to celebrate, acknowledge. We need to pray. This is a critical point for us, isn't it? We pray that we keep our vision for the impact that's going to be made. The challenge in all of our lives is for us to get distracted by something else. No, let's not allow for that. Let's pray. God, open our eyes to what you want to do. Guide our steps. Help us to know what we need to do. Just please, Lord. Pray for God's blessing through this congregation so that we touch lives. Pray for it. Ask for it. I've introduced, again, in our worship experience, a consistent call to prayer. We need to be praying. Resources of God's activity are oftentimes directly connected to our willingness to ask. So ask. Not surprisingly, I'm going to say we also going forward still need to give. We do. Now we're not all giving the same amount, but I hope in all of our hearts there's the same level of generosity. We are coming forward, seeing how God works and saying sincerely, now Lord, I want you to take whatever I give to, to touch those folks. I want you to... See, so much of what we spend is on on temporary things. I mean, it's disposable. We don't ever see a lot of what we spend ever again. But toward this effort, what you're giving will touch lives for decades. It absolutely will. I don't want to spend on disposable things. I, I want to sow in ways that's going to touch far beyond. Now, while I was on sabbatical, one of the things I did was I researched how people outside the church look at the church and what they think about the church. And not surprising, you know what a lot of people who are not involved in an active congregation think about the church? They think all we ever do is ask people to give their money. I find that funny. If you attend here regularly, yes, we receive an offering every week. This is the first time in 2019 I've really spoken specifically about giving money. The first time this year. So no, some outside don't understand the dynamic of what God is trying to do inside. And I get that. 
But it bothers me a little bit because, you know, their implication is you come to church and all they're asking you to do is give, 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 give. They never think twice when they go into Starbucks and say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't think I want to give you money for my coffee today. I mean, think about that. I mean, almost everything in life, we on the outside assume there's going to be some expectation that you provide the means to provide the very thing that you're seeking to enjoy. I mean, those of you that do happen to go to the gym, you don't go into the gym, say, next month and say, you know what? All you ever ask of me is give, 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 give. I still want to come, but I'm not going to give. Well, all I'm saying, when it comes to understanding how God is at work in the church, we're not going to constantly appeal to you to give. But let's be realistic. It's because we give we're able to do all the things that we do. And this church does remarkable things, amazing things, because you give. So, I don't know about you, as I respond to the goodness of the Lord, at the very least, I want to know that I'm giving more to the Lord than what I spend on my coffee. I give more to the Lord than what I might spend at the gym. I give more to the Lord than what I might spend on my cell phone plan. I want to believe within my heart that my vision is such that when I give, I sow. And God does something amazing with that. Here's an action plan for the next week. I'd encourage you to read John 4 this week. Just read it. The reason I want you to do that, because next week we're going to come back to it. We're going to look at something Jesus says about worship that is significant. So read it. But when Jesus points to the people coming and says, you see the field? Pray that God will give you a vision for the people. Pray for that. Also, what if next Sunday we just come and we surprise the Lord with a gift in a way that maybe today you didn't think about? If you look at how our church typically gives in the flow of a month, the fourth Sunday is always the lowest giving Sunday of the month. It's just the way it falls. Many of us, or many of you may are on fixed incomes. You get your income at the first of the month. I totally understand all of that. But what... What if, say next Sunday, in just some kind of personal way, we're going to just have this vision of how God works. We just do something tangible. Whatever that, I'm not dictating to you. Just ask the Lord about it. And as you respond, don't think about what's being sacrificed. Think about what you're sowing. And what God's going to do with that. Let me pray for us. Dear God, thank you for the attentiveness of those here today, for the faithfulness of so many in this room that have given generously. I'm still amazed at where you have positioned us at this point. It is, it's a beautiful thing. Father, may you help us not to lose focus now as we rejoice in where we are. Renew our vision. Help us to stay focused in the way that we need to. Enable us to respond to you in faith so that we can experience even more of your activity 
May we know within each of our hearts that you're the one who supplies the seed. So we could trust you when we cast it out and sow it. Lord, encourage us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.